Hey folks, you're listening to To Know the Land, broadcasting from the traditional territories of the Mississauga the Credit on 93.3 FM at the University of Guelph. Or maybe you're listening through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a show about our connections with the land base, how we interact with the land, how we learn about the land, and how we defend the land, all the while seeking to inspire resilience, resistance, and reverence for the land. On today's show, I get to honor a tradition of the show um, that's been happening for a few years now, and I get to play uh, the Solstice radio play that was written by Alison McClay and broadcast on the BBC Scotland on December 21st, uh, 1984. And this is an amazing, amazing radio play that she put together and it's quite incredible I, I i've been listening to it for years i've loved it and like i said this is a tradition on the show um before it was ever a podcast when it was just on the radio i'd, I'd still broadcast it every year and now that it's a podcast this is the first year that i get to do it online um and you all get to hear it as a podcast it's this let me tell. Okay, so solstice. Uh, it describes the winter solstice, but through the perspective of sort of a a shaman character who takes us through remembering the old ways of the winter solstice, what it might have meant to our ancestors, um, or at least to the ancestors of white and cultured European descended folks, and that's sort of where my ancestors are. That's where I'm sort of position myself and I think that if we try and look at ancestral recovery as a way of decolonization of getting more in touch with the land base to be in touch with these parts of the year such as the winter solstice and what that meant for our relationships with the land base and how we were impacted so deeply impacted to be going into the midst of winter, the hard season, the doom season, as I sometimes call it. This play really does a great job at acknowledging that, mythologizing that, and and doing it in an entertaining, entertaining way. I think it's incredibly mythic. I think it's a little bit goth, you know, like a little bit dark. Um, but that's what the season's all about. And I really appreciate that. This is the continuation of that uh, dark gestation gestation period from October 31st to December 21st or December 20th this year. Uh, the winter solstice is the birth of the sun, right? So uh, that dark period from Halloween to Yule is that darkening and now we're moving towards the light after after this this show will be broadcasting on the 21st that means yesterday was uh the solstice that means now the days will be slightly slowly inching ever so slowly uh towards the light and that means a lot to me Winter used to be a time of despair and depression for me, of of 
not seeing any living going on, just death. And now by trying to learn about the land more and connecting with the land base, seeing that that's not true at all. There's so much life still happening out there. And now as the, the days get longer, that life is sort of breathed in quietly. It almost feels like those first few days or weeks or months when the, the baby has just been born. And maybe in the month's part, it, it doesn't work so well, but in the first few days and maybe the first few couple of weeks before the baby's really crying out, and there's that quiet when the baby's just sleeping and feeding and resting with their mother, with the parents. And maybe that's what this time of year is all about now. It's about rest. It's about quiet. It's about moving slowly. A lot of other animals are doing that right now. Maybe that's time for us as well. And without further ado, here is Solstice by Alison McClay. If you're naughty, you don't get anything, but if you're good, you get a full stocking. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Don't you have a greeting for me, today of all days? Ending and beginning day. The day of death and new birth. Try Merry Solstice or Solstice Greetings. You have forgotten me, haven't you? Your children tell sweet tales of me and you laugh behind their backs. But I tell you, your children are wiser than you. You still don't remember me, do you? Think back. Think back to the very beginnings. Back to a time when the long darkness brought hunger to your fireside. A black stranger to live with you. The dull pain 
back to the times of the pounding heart, the ache of the chase, the madness of the kill, the smell of blood, hot in the snow, the red and the white. Red and white. When a dulling eye and the ebb of breath meant an easing of hunger. For a while. Do you remember me now? Your children draw pictures of me. An old man in a red suit with a white beard squeezing down the chimney with all they want most in the world. Lord of the reindeer, keeper of the game, as old as mankind. I am the shaman, the magician, the priest. When your heart beats fast in the dead of night, I am there. When you whistle or sing in the face of danger, I call the tune. I am your ancestor and your child. I am your guest tonight. And you will be mine. Here is my invitation to your house, a green tree from the northern forests. See? Some things you still remember. An evergreen tree hung with lights and mirrors, sparkling gold like the glimmer of solstice fire through the forest branches, red and white, blood on the snow. And today, the day of endings and beginnings, of death and rebirth, the birth of the sun, the solstice. Come with me, back to the very beginnings. Stretch out your hand to me. Stretch out over a thousand generations. Come and understand once more. of the woods and the forests, the beasts and the seasons. And then one day the Christ people came, turning their backs on what is and demanding what should be, as if they were lords of it all. They took that song and made it theirs, just as they took my solstice festival for their own. The sun the birth of a son, as it always was, for as long as mankind has gaped at the sky and questioned the light and the darkness. Birth of a son. Birth of a boy child. Their festival is a trick of words, a fashion of the last few seconds of the history of man. But while they tried to drive me back into the shadows before their newborn god, 
godling. The Christ people still feared me. For the shaman was their ancestor too. The blood on the snow. So, they tried to tame me, contain me, cage me. Turn me into a tale for little children. A bringer of gifts, a driver of reindeer, an old man from the north with a white beard and a little magic. But their children were wiser than they. In their turn, they remember the solstice fire. Spring, brightness of light everlasting and song of righteousness. Come and enlighten him that sitteth in darkness and the shadow of death. Lighten the world and cast out the darkness of the spirit. Do you remember now? Are the old memories stirring? Pass as the shaman passes, as a thought in a dream. Pass with me to the edge of the pitchy forests, the edge of the wind-scoured plain, back to the very beginning, when the hungry ice drew back, the bare earth swelled, and the hunter strode over it to the north. Smell the chill on the wind. Black winter is here too. The red and white bridges ahead, Agaric, the shaman's mushroom, the crossing to the spirit world. Eat. Soon you will see the magician's reindeer fly again, skimming the snow, speckled deer, riding the northern winds, pulling a sleigh with an old man in a red coat, bringing gifts. I tell you, your children are wiser than you. The dark forest presses on each side. The ice casts an iron band round your chest, snatching breath. But there, ahead, is fire. Solstice fire. Red cat upon the hearth, striped with gold, spitting and twisting. Could eat the whole house if you let her. Now do you see how you are favoured? Midwinter blesses you with a festival of overeating. But look beyond the fire there, to the shadows. You see the old people, near ghosts, sitting, waiting for the cold to take them. This is the real midwinter, a time of hunger, when the old set themselves to die, to lighten the load on the rest. In the summer fattening time, the reindeer moved in herds on the plain, and we hunters followed, killing for our people, food in our bellies. That was a fine time. Sun-hot grasslands, and the grouse so plump and slow they could hardly rise away from our arrows. But winter's never far away. It soon blew down from the mountaintops, bringing the night spirits to live with us. If you listen, you'll hear the long dead howling in the forest. 
one-legged seamstress has needles but can't sew, wears the same green gown each day and a white overcoat in winter. Kindle the fire, heat to heat, light to light. Give back fire to the sun at midwinter. Bring new fire to each home, a burning log from the forest. Fire to ease the birth pangs of the sun. Stones of the earth remember a time when the sun did not return to them from the darkness. Then ravenous ice engulfed the land, bringing nothing but stark, white silence. The very mountains were split and milled to sand. What chance had the hunters and their people? For this reason, they make a gift of flame to the sun in midwinter, so that it will return to them. Red flame and white ash. Red and white solstice fire. Wither, wither, black flowering night. May your dark juices bleed. Burn up like a pool on the summer plain. Shrivel like a stain upon sand. Dwindle to a basalt pebble. Tiny as a slow worm's eye is. Vanish to nothing. A red deer comes over the hill. Shoot your arrows as you will. The deer will stand there still. The sun rises as a deer on the hill. Let the shaman draw on a rock with white chalk and red ochre. And let the likeness live. The raven, the reindeer, the bear and the leaping salmon. Let all those we have killed bring their gifts. Brother reindeer, I'm in your debt. You give me your brown autumn hide to wrap me, my buckskin shoes, my summer tent and sleeping bag, my skin boat which slips across the lake. Your sinews are my thread, your bones are my needles. My family eat your tongue, your bone marrow, your unborn fawns. From the birth of this new son to its death next winter, Give me all these again. Follow the path I know, from Thornbirth to Rut. Cross the river where an arrow, with my mark on it, can bring you down in the red water. My gift to you in return is never to kill you without need, and then only to take flesh, bone and hide, to leave your spirit free on the plain. Come to the fire. The shaman's magic will make it so. That is his task. To climb down through the smoke hole of the hut with a wooden reindeer painted in red ochre and so make toys of its wild brothers. And you, black soul of ravens. You who share our killing. You are our kin. You eat our meat and watch over our camps. Bran, the trickster... Your feathers hang from our flagsticks, driving the deer into our traps, deceiving them, making them afraid of feathers when arrows lie ahead. But, Brother Raven, do not deceive us like that. You know the sun must be born again tonight. Without its light, you will not find food. 
Without its light, your feathers will not dry, and your young will die of cold. Brother Bear, welcome. Shadow of death in the forest. Your claws split open the hunter from head to belly. And yet, your flesh dries on a string in the summer heat outside the hut of the fortunate hunter. All this the shaman will promise. As priest, keeper of the game, magician, and midwife to the sun. Don't forget me. We are one, you and I, hunter and hunted. My gifts to you are the leap swifter than thought and the strength to run all day without slackening till the heart is run out of your prey. I wish you the comfort of the pack about you and the wisdom which knows caution but not fear. Come to the fire, night brother, but not too near. Brothers of the natural world, and you others, silent watchers from the shadow world, long dead and unborn. It is the night of longest darkness, the time of greatest danger. The solstice fire burns as a sign to the sun that it must return, or we shall be left in the ice of eternal blackness. None here, O sun, have forgotten our debt to your warmth and light. Someone here has failed the trust. There is a lawbreaker here who has forgotten the custom. to our store today, our special Christmas well, offers. If your Molly are... has no berries, then why not give Mother Nature a helping hand with classic ones, each on a piece of Full pie? Christmas dinner served daily from November 20th. A cracker and a novelty hat at each place. Let's play with this. We'll keep the needles on the tree and give the whole house a lovely piney smell. Or a manicure set for your dog, or rubber booties for that walk through the Plastic snow. Plastic reindeer, their noses painted fluorescent red. Look how they glow in the dark. Small Medium. and large. Two for the price of one, while stocks last. And a train set. And a bicycle. No help. No help. Season's greeting. Season's greeting. Merry, 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 merry. Things cannot be. This is the world upside down, like the image in the lake on a still day. You are wrong, Wolf. I have seen it. Who speaks? It is I, Grand the Raven. How can you possibly know? Hunter, your feet are on the ground, and your nose is pressed to the blood trail. I fly high above your head. High enough to see what's to come. And I tell you, the world will be turned on its head. Raven, you are a liar, just as always. 
How could anyone who lives under the sun forget the sources and the old laws? Are you going to tell them how to live off the earth and not in it? How to become its master? I tell you, where they have passed, the grass is scorched away and the trees die as if withered by a brush fire. Except that no green shoots follow. They destroy faster than they can grow. The cycles of seed and harvest are no longer something to live by, but something to be altered. The animals are no longer brothers, but slaves. How could they have forgotten? Knowledge has made them stupid. Seeing too much has made them blind. One thing they are sure of, that anything simple is a tale for little children. And so the children are the keepers of the truth. And your children are wiser than you. Perhaps they can tell you why every year you set up an evergreen tree from the forest, like those about you now. Do you think it is simply to please them that you hang shining sun images upon it? Or is it because in the beginnings of time, your forefathers hung dead sacrifices on the living timber as gifts to the reborn sun? And still, you utter the words, Yule Log, without remembering the burning branch from the forest which brought the solstice fire to the hearth. If you forget the very roots of belief, if you forget the earth and its laws, you are lost. Time is short. The solstice is almost upon us. Your own world is calling you back. Shaman, will the sun be reborn? This time. This time. But if the trees are killed and the seas are poisoned, who knows? When clouds can bring death and not life, who knows? What will you have? Remember, I cannot guarantee the future. One day, a time may come when you wait for a dawn which fails to happen. And you, too, will grope and shiver in the dark, as your ancestors once did. What I can give you is your own heritage, which you have forgotten. Feel the load on your back. It is the weight of vanished worlds, a gift and a burden from a thousand generations past. You cannot lay it down until the last breath eases it from your shoulders, and it passes to your children. You cannot refuse this gift, Thoughts once formed cannot be unthought. Experience 
cannot be unlearnt. But I promise you, the shaman will always be by your side to help you carry it. His magic is in your dreams, inescapable. blood, hiding from the mountains in the mountains, wounded by stars and leaking shadow, eating the medical earth. Oh, little blood, little boneless, little skinless, plowing with a linnet's carcass, reaping the wild wind and threshing the stones. Oh, little blood, drumming in a cow's skull, dancing with gnats' feet with an elephant's nose with a crocodile's tail. Grown so wise, so terrible, sucking death's mouldy tits. Sit on my finger, sing in my ear, oh, little blood. Go now, back to your own world. But never again will you forget me. I am the shaman, the priest, the keeper of the game, whom some choose to call Father Christmas. Whenever you see an old man with a white beard wearing a red suit and riding in a sleigh pulled by reindeer, the chains which bind you to your past will tighten. And you will feel again the pounding heart, the ache of the chase, the smell of blood warm on the snow, red and white, blood on the snow. Come to me, and you shall see the rebirth of the sun, the glorious solstice. I am the shaman. Remember, whom some call Father Christmas. Again, that was Alison Martin, or Alison McClay, as she was known using her maiden name. Uh, her, her 1985 broadcast on BBC Scotland, December 21st, her broadcast of the radio play Solstice. It was, it was with the voices of Michael Elder, Diana Olson, 
Paul Young, and the producer was Patrick Rayner. And this is when there's a lack of storytelling around these old traditions, old ideas, old ways of interacting with the land and the land around uh, specific times of year, especially these important times, these equinoxes and solstices. Um, when we don't have the stories anymore, sometimes we have to be creative and piece together the bits and pieces. And I think this this radio play does a superb job of that. It's it's excellent in so many ways. Uh, I wish I could see this as some more sort of other format, some other media dramatiz dramatization, maybe on as a play uh, in a theater, or that wouldn't work well as a film. I don't think. Maybe radio play is the best format for this, but it's it's just for me it inspires a lot of awe and wonder, and and it's all wrapped up in my love of fairy tales, and mythologies and legends, and again that ancestral connection piece of what did my ancestors value this time of year? What did they think about things? Maybe not the closest ones. The closest ones were very Christian, but further back, long before Christendom came to uh, Western Europe, what did what did those ideas and customs look like this time of year? Right now, I'm just going to read a section from the book Pagan Christmas, The Plants, Spirits, and Rituals at the Origins of Yuletide by Christian Roch and Claudia Mueller Ebling. And it's put out by Inner Traditions Press from Rochester, Vermont. And it just gives different readings on the origins of Christmas traditions and different ideas of where they might have come from. Uh, some stretching back before Christianity, some uh, arising analogous with uh, Christian customs and ideas. And some more modern. And something I've just been thinking a lot about recently is I really love to see how our modern traditions are rooted in old things. I think it started with investigating the wishbone, which I think is probably a big part for a lot of people's uh, holiday experience, finding the wishbone, the forkula, in the turkey or the bird that they might be eating for Christmas if they eat birds for Christmas um, and so like looking at these traditions that we we still continue to this day and how they are connected to the land and one way that's kind of obvious but also maybe so ubiquitous that we fail to notice a lot of the time is the Christmas tree uh, here's the actual act of cutting a tree down from outside and bringing it into our house it's it's a very interesting act that I don't know has such drastic parallel any other way. I know we, we, we have, tr uh, pardon me, plants in our house, but to cut down a living tree to bring it in for only a little while, it's kind of strange. But I'm just going to read the section here on Christmas trees and maybe a little bit on fir trees, balsam fir particularly. The image of the tree brought into a cozy room delighted our ancestors. 
especially in old-fashioned romantic times. Moritz von Schwind, Ludwig Richter, and other artists of the 19th century implanted in our collective consciousness a picture of the festively lit tree standing in the center of the room, surrounded by a family with many children. The custom of bringing a tree into the room and decorating it during the time from December 24th through January 6th was a German invention. The earliest written documentation of this practice may be from the year 1419, from the Baker's Guild in Freiburg. Others claim that the off-sided tree from Strasbourg dating from the year 1604 was the first decorated fir tree. The first tree was illuminated there in the year 1785. An engraving after a drawing by Johann Martin Oostery, who lived from 1763 to 1827, shows the festively lit tree as the focus of a Swiss family from Zurich in 1799. In the year 1807, the first Christmas trees came to Leipzig, in 1810 to Berlin, and 1815 to Danzig. In 1848, Prince Albert Schassen Coburg Gotha, a husband of Queen Victoria, brought the first Christmas tree to England. In 1851, the first Christmas tree was admired in Innsbruck. Ironically, the first Christmas tree may have come to France through the German-French War during the years of 1870-1871. In 1912, the first huge lighted tree illuminated an official square in New York on the other side of the ocean from Europe. Ever since, the presence of the Christmas tree may yield to religious borders, but never geographical ones. It has reached the Mediterranean Mediterranean countries, the New World, and the hot and humid tropics, even if only as a flimsy, electrically illuminated plastic imitations. Such substitutes originated with soldiers in battlefield service during World War I. But even in the new millennium, the artificial, indestructible Aratz trees cannot compete with the true wintertime evergreen. Economically speaking, the artificial trees only have a 15-20% to 20 share of the market. I'm going to skip ahead to the section on fir trees. Uh, Abies species. Other names, Christ tree, Christmas tree, fir tree, kinholz or firewood, noble tree, tanna, tannenbaum, taxenbaum, winstbaum. Here's a quote from Hildegard von Wingham from Physica. The fir is more warm than cold and holds many powers within itself. It is associated with bravery. Whenever the fir wood stands, the spirits of the air hate it and shun it. Enchantments and other magical spells have less power to affect things there than they do in other places. Not many people can distinguish between fir and spruce. So here are the most important features. Spruce cones point up, while spruce cones point down to the ground. Fir needles are soft and run horizontally along the branches. Spruce needles are pointed and grow in a circle around the branch. Firs can be found in many regions of the world and can grow up to 60 meters or almost 200 feet tall. The Black Forest of Europe got its name from the dark, dense needle growth of fir trees. Up to the present day, the densest fir forests are still found in this region. And it is here that the fir conquered the living rooms of the entire world 
as the classic Christmas tree. Their evergreen needle attire is the theme of the popular Christmas song with a melody from the 18th century. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, how lovely are thy branches. Now only green, not only green when summer's here, but in the coldest time of year. The old Chai German word tana not only means fir, and also most astonishingly oak, but also the Middle High German tan also means forest. Thus, with the fir tree, you bring the forest and the wilderness into your house. What's more, the German name for fir, tana, might be related to the word for fire, tan. In the forests of Europe, the fir has always been a holy tree. Tacitus describes the holy feast of Tisana, where people carried fir branches with their hands, and our Christmas tree also originates in this feast. Holy firs have also been worshipped in Alpine countries, and they're considered the dwelling place or seat of the gods. The people believed that spirit beings lived in the firs. Even today you can find firs in the forest that are objects of religious worship. They can be distinguished by the presence of a picture of the Holy Mary, rarely, be, rarely because they bear a cross. In Indo-Germanic Phrygia, Asia Minor, the fir was dedicated to the fertility goddess Sibyl. Romans saw the enclosed shape of the fir, fir cone a symbol of virginity and dedicated it to the goddess of the hunt and of the forest, Diana. According to legend of the Siberian Jakutin, the souls of their shamans were born in a fir on the mountain of Jukuo. D-Z-O-K-U-O. And in the end, the fir became the Christmas tree of the sacred nights. In shamanic cultures, holy trees were not too thoughtlessly chosen and cut down, as this violated a deforestation taboo. Whoever disregarded a holy tree was punished with illness or death. For the thieves of fir trees, it was prophesied that their arm would be cut. Whoever cut down a fir in defiance of this law was condemned to seven years' bad luck. Nevertheless, fir wood was used for ritual purposes and implements. Thus, the fir tree itself, as well as its branches and the advent wreaths made of them, has central meaning at Christmas time. So again, that was from Pagan Christmas. But I just want to read another section on fir trees uh, from The Book of Forest and Thicket by John Eastman. This book I've referred to a lot. But I wanted to read to its associates throughout the year. Uh, some of the animal and plant species, the fungal species and bacterial species that associate with the balsam fir. And balsam fir is probably our most common, it is the most common uh, native fir in this part of the country. It's a tree of moist woods bottomlands. Conifer has flat, unstalked needle with two white stripes beneath. Its form is typically steeple-shaped. I'll just get straight to the associate section. Balsam usually grows in mixed stands with white spruce, quaking aspen, and white birch. In spring and summer, curled or twisted needles and swollen twig ends are the signs of aphids, several species of which prey on this tree. 
Swollen galls at the needle bases are formed by the balsam gall midge larva. When galls are present, look for tiny black wasps that parasitize the larva. Notched needles may indicate feeding from the henlock looper, a greenish-yellow geometer moth caterpillar. These caterpillars feed from the top of the tree downward. The brownish adult moths deposit eggs on bark and needles. Balsam's chief insect pest, a normal part of its ecology, is the spruce budworm, a reddish-brown tortricid moth caterpillar. Signs include defoliated or top-killed trees or browning needles loosely webbed together, which give the tree a tangled, messy appearance. Later, the brownish pupa wraps itself lengthwise by a twig by fine silken strands. Epidemics of these needle eaters have killed thousands of trees and spruce and balsam stands. During such outbreaks, watch for dramatic increases in local bird populations attracted to the abundant food supply. Cape May warblers, uncommon at other times, will often show up during budworm years. In dead or dying balsam firs, piles of sawdust-like chafe around the tree base indicate wood-feeding larvae of the balsam fir sawyer, a long-horned beetle. Tufts of dead needles along the defoliated lengths of twigs usually suggest the gregarious feeding of larval sawflies. Balsam fir sawfly larvae, green with brown stripes, resemble moth caterpillars. Yellow-rumped warblers frequently nest in balsam fir, and even in gross beaks often nest in the top 15 to 20 foot trees. The nests of both may remain long after the birds have left. In winter, balsam needles are a favorite fruit of spruce and sharp-tailed grouse. Look for partially denuded twigs with needle bases still attached. Neatly edged nod patches of barks are signs of porcupine feeding. Cropped twigs with raggedy bitten ends give away the white-tailed deer that have browsed them. Since balsam is a starvation food for deer, these signs may indicate a poor supply of preferred deer browse in the area. For moose, on the other hand, balsam is a favorite and nourishing food. A flat bottom browse line of foliage generally quite high results when deer or moose stretch to feed. All year, a bracket fungus on the upper trunk may signify red heart rot, one of the balsam's chief invaders. I'm going to quickly add the lore section from this book. There's often good stuff. Clear aromatic resin accumulates in the balsam bark during or beneath raised blisters, which are easily punctured with a fingernail. This is Canada balsam, a pharmaceutical ingredient used for once used for cementing microscope lenses and mounting specimens on microscope slides. Woodsmen use this resin as a wound plaster and waterproof cement. Sweetened, it once sold as a confection. Not the tastiest stuff, balsam pitch is nevertheless a concentrated nourishing food that can provide an emergency ration if needed. Some indigenous folks from North America inhaled the melted pitch as a headache remedy and treated burns and wounds with it. Mixed with bear grease, it also served as a hair dressing. Balsam's weak, soft wood is used as pulpwood and crate stock. It's ideal for starting a fire by friction, but used as fuel, it spits sparks. 
This tree's main economic value, however, owes largely to Christmas. Some 30% of all trees cut and sold for the holiday season are balsams. Shock shearing, removal of the lower branches, and nice scarring of bark stimulates bud development and thicker foliage. The balsam holds its aromatic needles indoors much longer than spruce. That was uh, Book of Forest and Thicket by John Eastman with illustrations from Amelia Hansen put out by Stackpole Books. And the book again before that was Pagan Christmas. Growing up, I think we mostly had, I think we always had uh, a plastic Christmas tree with a green metal pole along the center that you attach to a white base that's, or pardon me, a red base that you screwed in. And I feel like I never thought or missed a, a live tree. I don't know if a plastic tree is a good idea or a bad idea. I think sometimes we have this idea of authenticity that we should have a real tree and that a plastic tree is less authentic of, of an experience. And I could see how that argument might work. But also with a plastic tree, you aren't cutting down trees every year. And if everybody rushes out to grab a tree, maybe it's not a sustainable idea. I wonder if we could get into the habit of planting trees every year and recognizing that many won't survive. So you plant 10 to 20 trees a year and you continually do that. By the time some of them start getting older and able to cut down, and maybe you've taken care of them, um, and maybe you've encouraged more lush growth, uh, like what John Eastman describes as that shock shearing or the knife scarring to produce more thorough branching or, or thick branching. If you do that every year, then maybe you could still be doing it in a sustainable way. You could be harvesting way less. You could still harvest one every year, but still be taking out less than you're putting in. And it seems balsam fir trees readily seed themselves and grow. Probably don't take much work to sustain themselves. They seem quite able to do their thing. And I mean, maybe we could even find trees that will grow even faster, like spruces. I know white spruces may not grow faster, but they seem a little bit tougher sometimes. So I just think that if we wanted to have that practice and we wanted to cut these trees down and bring them into our homes, maybe there are ways we can find to do that in sustainable ways. Or better yet, why not decorate the trees in our neighborhoods in our parks. Uh, what a shared experience that could be to bring a community together. Instead of just Christmas lights on houses, we decorate our, our trees in our front yard. And I know that's a, a growing custom too. It's becoming more common for people to decorate the trees out front of their houses than just the ones inside. I've also seen a new sort of marketing scheme of 
selling people small trees, small lavender bushes or, or rosemary bushes uh, cropped and, and cut to look that conical shape of a balsam fir or an evergreen. And that's a nice thing to have around and you can be using those those herbs as well uh, for cooking. And if somehow you get it to survive through the year, which I don't, I, I know I've never been able to get a rosemary to survive. I've only tried a couple times, but it hasn't worked for me. But if you could get it to work, then you could plant it out afterwards. So again, propagating and encouraging more growth with our seasonal customs as opposed to cutting things down. These are just ideas on how to do maybe a, a more sustainable or regenerative Christmas. Maybe not even sustainable, more, but regenerative, encouraging growth, more so than, than taking away from it. Just some thoughts. Just some thoughts. Anyhow, that's the show this week. I hope you all have great time off if you get time off if you don't i'm sorry maybe you can sneak in a sick day or two uh and just take some time relaxing sitting still paying attention to the weather outside the habits of the animals i still see the squirrels about rabbits are around lots of winter birds lots of things going on out on the land the deer rut in my area is still ongoing. Uh, there's still lots of scrapes and rubs to be found. Maybe if you sit still, you'll see the bucks walking by. Maybe the does being chased. I don't know. There's just lots going on. It's not a season of death like I thought when I was young. It's also a season of life. Thank you for listening to the show. Again, it's To Know the Land. show about people's connections to land base. If you want to learn more, you can check out the website, toknowtheland.com. You can email me, toknowtheland at gmail.com. Show ideas, things that I should be writing about on the website. There's been a few new blog posts recently. If people are interested in the idea of a European traditions... Uh, revolving around shamanic figures or whatever word you want to throw in there instead of shaman. Um, there's been a new blog post that I wrote on headdresses found in England and Germany, some from 11,000 years ago, and who researchers say might be associated with uh, old earth-based custom and tradition and and uh, the people who easily navigated those spaces between a, a spirit world or a world beyond our conventional one. Yeah, I'm not sure how to describe it. I definitely don't know how they would have been described 11,000 years ago. But it's just really interesting to learn about. And, and again, back on that subject of ancestral recovery, what does that mean? What does decolonization look like? How do we get to a place where we can connect with the land base once again? My name is Byron. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.
Take care.